Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Daniel? In Daniel chapter 1, as we're on these introductory studies to help us understand where we're headed and really what the book is about. So we've just begun this exciting study through the fascinating Old Testament book of Daniel and what great things await us. We learned last time of this phrase, and I quote, dare to be a Daniel. And as you hear that phrase, it's a call. It's one of those cliche type phrases, but it has great meaning. You know, some phrases get used so much that they lose their meaning and then they just kind of get uh, set apart as a cliche. But what I have found that often the phrases that are labeled cliche are actually pretty weighty when you pause to examine them. And this is one of them. God's call for our church and those that have made our midweek Bible study a, a part of their, of their week is to dare to be a Daniel to be a man of integrity, to be a woman of honesty, to be a man or a woman ready to be used by God in very difficult circumstances. Circumstances that would be very easy to dismiss as not from God. To be in the court, to be kidnapped, to be re-educated, to be separated from your family, to to be placed in in a governmental position of an ungodly, wicked, pagan nation. You go, what, what could any of these be, how could any of these be used by God? I wonder what the circumstances are in your life that just make you question. How could these possibly be used of God? How is this possible? I don't don't understand it. I don't see how they could possibly be used. And I'm sure Daniel, given the chance, could ask the same questions as he examines his life. I believe Jesus Christ in these last days is stirring up his church to rise to the call of the darkness of the age. It's not a time for us to cave in. It's not a time for us to to go inward and to try to protect what we have, but rather it's to take what we have and to use it for the glory of God. And what we're going to learn is that Daniel stands as an example to follow, an example of tenacity, an example of commitment, an example of unwavering obedience. And that's personally what I want in my life. I want to grow in these areas. I want to live an upright I want to live a life that is dedicated and unreserved, honoring God with my life. The church is to be known, the church of Jesus Christ is to be known for their boldness and their courage and their love. That's the greatest evidence of your relationship with Jesus Christ is you love. You have a love that can't even be explained Some of you have an expression of love that's so contrary to how you used to be. People are really concerned about you and wondering why such a drastic change. And some people in your life, they're waiting you out because they're testing you. They don't quite believe the drastic change. They don't quite believe the evidence. They're, they're They're not like skeptical But at the same time, there's a little bit of skepticism. You could say holy skepticism where they're waiting it out. And yet the most dramatic response or the most dramatic 
obvious outward change in a person's life when they're born again is love. And in many ways, we're learning in life as believers to love like we've never been hurt before. Because as you face all the difficulties of life and you're hurt and you're maligned and you're misused and you watch what's happening in the world today and that hurts you, and it's not just personal things, it's also typical things and social things and cultural things, it's easy to no longer be loving, but rather what we're seeing in the broader scope of the world in the last days is exactly what God said would happen, that there would be a coldness of heart. The love of many would grow cold. And as a pastor and a fellow believer, I've witnessed this firsthand. I've seen cold-hearted nastiness in people with my own eyes, like in my, in my presence. And not just in a tragic way, but in an everyday way, not just things that lead to great tragedy as we have recently experienced in our community, but, but in everyday, everyday life, just nasty meanness. And here's the thing, as we're entering into the backdrop of Daniel, I'm greatly concerned, church. I'm greatly concerned, community, those that are listening on the radio, that the church is losing its love relationship with Jesus Christ. Those that claim to follow him tend to be filled with so much anger and frustration and gossip and slander and just basic human opinions that are loveless. What I see on social media troubles me. It troubles me so much that I'm no longer active on Facebook because I simply cannot take people in the church that I pastor reading what they're writing on social media. I can't take it. It rises up the flesh in me. I no longer am in a place when I read it, I don't pray anymore, I get mad. I mean, it's been a while, so maybe things have changed since I've been off. But I don't think so. It's been well over. I forget the date. I think at least a year and a half for me because I just couldn't take it. And I was making this. Hey, man, I know that brother. I served with him on Sunday and I'm calling him up. What are you doing? Why are you writing this stuff? Where's the gospel and what you're saying? Where's the redemptive quality? Where's the love? Yeah, but you don't understand, Ed. I, you're right. I don't understand. You're right. That, that would be an accurate statement. But that's my personal application of the scripture that says to stay innocent in things that are evil and to be excellent in those things that are good. I don't want to understand. Because you see, all of that stuff, the flesh is in me too. I'm not immune to that. I have opinions too. I have, especially if you catch me in a bad moment, I have opinions that would be better kept to myself and prayed over, but occasionally will come out of my mouth. And they're not God-honoring. And they're not honoring to the gospel. And they're not honoring to the change of agape love in me. And I'm certainly not reflecting the life of Daniel who was able to stand with some semblance of integrity in worse conditions than I've ever experienced. But church, we've lost our love. Some of you may be looking at this and go, you know, Ed, I'm, I'm, I agree. Amen, Ed! I'm not on Facebook anymore either. But how are you at work? Well, we're not talking about work, Ed. You didn't say that. 
You don't understand who I work for. You don't understand what they just did to me. You don't understand. It's always about not understanding. But I just want to be excellent in understanding the love of God for me. It melts me. I, I don't want my opinions in my life to be so monumental that it prevents me from loving someone, from looking past the outward and seeing the heart of the matter or the heart of a person. The Bible says, and you can jot it down, this is the New Living in Colossians chapter 3. It says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand, in the place of honor and power. And listen to this, Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Fill your thoughts with heaven. I think of some of the difficulties in our culture. I think it's pretty obvious to most looking on the darkness of sin. Even if they don't use the word sin. Evil is evident. And the only thing to match evil is the love of God. Daniel is going to challenge us to live a life that pleases God. Not a religious life. Not a false, go through the motions life. Not a life that just pleases my parents or pleases my spouse. Not a life because I have to, but a life so filled with appreciation for the love of God that our responses I get to. If you, have a, if you make an observation of the world that it's evil, you're right. Say it one time and be done with it. It is evil. So what are we going to do now? Yeah, but Ed, it's another facet of evil. I know. And where's the church? Where's the light? And how is it going to be in every area? You see, the book of Daniel, as we learn, is a book of both purity and prophecy. Purity. Daniel was a man of purity. So as we study through the book of Daniel, there'll be very practical Practical applications for us to live a life of purity. Do you know that the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy that grace, when we understand grace properly, it actually teaches us to live a holy life? Grace leads us to holy living. Do you know that the Bible says that as we anticipate the coming of the Lord, that this hope purifies us. Marks of love, is pure. one of the marks of true love is purity. And there's just something about love and purity and holiness that's attractive to a person that's trapped in their own sin. They may not say it. Truly, the people that are most attracted to purity and holiness usually put you down for it because there's an offense to your life and their life. There's an offense of the peace you enjoy. And, you know, if we're not careful, we'll start taking it personal, but it's actually not personal. Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Daniel is a man of purity. As we study the life of Daniel and his friends, we'll see in his lives, as I've said, real commitment. If you have a problem with commitment, Daniel will help you. If you have a problem making commitments and not keeping them, Daniel will help you. If you have a problem of, of making a commitment, kind of sticking with it, and then fall, Daniel will help you. But not just with commitment, but secondly, also with conviction. Not political conviction, not cultural, not philosophical, 
but true godly conviction. Daniel will help you with that. What does it look like for a man? What does it look like for a woman to take a godly stand? Well, ask Daniel. Watch his life. Daniel was a man of conviction. And not just commitment and conviction, but thirdly, Daniel was a man of real courage, boldness, standing up for, for his God in the midst of a godless society in very trying times. Our study over the next few months is an inspirational learning experience from a real man. Not only is it a book of purity as we've seen in a previous study, but it's also a book of prophecy. And this is where oftentimes the Bible is where the rubber meets the road. Prophecy. One of the greatest evidences that this book is divine in origin and not human is it's the power of its prophetic word. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the word prophecy, let me give you a simple definition. Prophecy speaks of the future. Many times when the Bible is speaking of prophecy, it is making a prediction on the future. God is making a prediction on the future. And as Jesus taught us, Daniel was a prophet. God used Daniel to speak forth into the future. And really, for you that are new to the Bible, Daniel is one of the most important books, and some say, if not the most important book in all of the Bible. You know, Daniel is the key that unlocks revelation for us and helps us grasp what God has in store for the end times. Daniel is that book that inspires trust and hope in us because we meet God who knows all and reveals to, those, those, reveals to us those things that we must know. Remember that phrase? Maybe you use that. Maybe your kids are asking you about X, Y, Z, and you look at your kids, you cop an attitude as a parent. Sometimes parents cop an attitude. So you're copping an attitude. You're on a need-to-know basis. And I'll tell you when you need to know. Anybody ever use that phrase? Okay, a few of you. All right. A little hard edge. Well, many times in our lives, without the hard edge, God reveals to us, look, church, you're on a need-to-know basis. And you'll know when it's needful. And that's how it is with prophecy. We're on a need-to-know basis. And what God wants to reveal to us, he reveals to us. I was speaking uh, to, I think it was to the guys this afternoon, I'm not sure, but um, I think it was with the pastors when we were meeting today that it's important, we use the phrase in the world, trust your gut. But for the believer, you have more than your gut. You have the Holy Spirit. And so I train the guys to trust their first instinct. It's probably from the Lord. You know, what I often refer to as the Holy Spirit alarm in your life. Don't ignore the warnings of the Holy Spirit in your life. He may be revealing something to you. You don't have to overreact. Overreact to one side of the, and, and you have an impression and you just flip out on the one side and you act, accuse and point fingers. Don't overreact on one side, but also don't overreact on the other side and just ignore it. You have an impression, pray over it and wait for God to give you more. You have a, uh, especially in that, that sense of relationship, you know, you gals or guys, you're getting into a relationship, but the Holy Spirit alarm is saying something's not quite right. Put 
the brakes on. You don't have to slam the brakes so you run into the windshield. Just put the brakes on and slow down. Don't ignore that first impression. You may or may not be right, but don't ignore it, especially when it's on the negative side. Put the brakes on and slow down. Don't rush into it. Give God room to work. Give the Holy Spirit room to reveal. And with prophecy, God reveals what we need to know in advance. It's often been said that prophecy is the calling card of God because only God can predict the future with 100% accuracy. Now, it's been some time since I've seen on the newsstand, you know, those people that say they can predict the future. Now they have shows on YouTube, you know, where they're, they're on there and they say they can speak to the dead and they can figure everything out about. It's all fake and demonic. It's either demonic or manipulation tricks because only God knows the future. And so somebody says, I'm going to predict the future. I think in Colorado, it's going to change in the weather in the next five days. Sometimes in the next five minutes. And then it changes. Oh, I'm not, hey, I am not a prophet. So I'm not speaking with prophecy. That is an example. But yeah, somebody comes, oh, you know, uh, the sun's going to rise in the morning. You wake up, the sun rose in the morning. Come on now. What you're going to find with God is he is precise with details that no one else would know. So it's not like something on the National Enquirer with all these weird things. Oh, so-and-so, she she is a prophetess. She can tell the future. She was able to tell the future last year with 70% accuracy. Well, the Bible declares someone that's 70% accurate a false prophet. Because a true prophet of God is 100% accurate. Why? Because God's 100% accurate. And anyone speaking on behalf of God with this prophetic word has to be accurate. Draw it down in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25. Again, all introductory as we'll jump into the text next time. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25. I am the Lord and I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. You know, turn your Bibles to that. You've got to mark this. I'm reading it from my notes, but you've got to mark this. This is so key. For all the people that are skeptical about the prophetic edge of God, all those that are skeptical, God lays it on the line. So go back to Ezekiel uh, and turn to chapter 12. It's just to the left. And notice, mark it, put a star next to it, circle it, Exodus 12, verse 25. Listen to what he says. I'll read it again. For I am the Lord and I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word, and check this out, and perform it, says the Lord God. So when you look forward with prophecy, God says, I say it, and I'll perform it. You can count on me. But jot this one down. I'll just read it to you. When looking back on prophecy, looking back on the word of God, listen to this. This is so powerful. We saw this not too long ago in our study in Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he had promised. There is not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. Not one word 
You see, when God says it, he doesn't adjust it when it doesn't come to pass. He said, if God says something precisely and it doesn't happen, it wasn't from God. But when somebody says something and it doesn't happen, we know it's not from God because it gets changed. Well, well, no, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said you meant. With prophecy from God, that's not how it is. God says it, it's not edited. And it comes to pass just like he says. And so if you find if you have to edit something or adjust it because it didn't come to pass the way you said it, when you said it, the time you said it, just admit it. It wasn't from the Lord. Because if it was from the Lord, it would have come to pass exactly the way that you said it came from him. Prophecy often will make us scratch our heads. You'll hear a word or from revelation, a warning, an encouragement, and, and you'll say to the Bible, you'll just, how did you know that? How do you really know that's going to happen? You come to, to a place where I've heard that all my life, but I just don't believe it. Can, can you think of, think of the moment just a few years ago, just the year before Israel became a nation? Just one year, 365 days. And how you look back on all the previous years that God would gather his people together. That once again, the dry bones would be made alive. You just start thinking over and over and over again the promises of Israel. And 365 days, I've heard that my whole life. 364 days, I've heard that my whole life. And it's 360, all the way up, you down to 30 days before the declaration. 30 days, just 30 days, just a month. Hey, you know what? Israel's going to be in Asia. I've heard that. I've heard it. Just 28 days. Just 15 days. Can you imagine two days? All the wranglings, all the different negotiations, all the things, all through all the wars, through everything that was happening. Just two days, just one day, and then boom. He stands up and says, I declare Israel is a sovereign nation. And you're like, can you imagine seeing that with your own eyes? Some of you did see that with your own eyes. You experience that. That's something you experience in your lifetime with your own eyes. Some of you were born the same year. Some of you were born 10 years prior. Some of you were born the same year and you're like, this happened in my year. I was a baby, I didn't know it. I was naked most of the time crying, but it happened my year. <laughs> Prophecy will just say, man. And you open up the scriptures. And as you're looking at various things, you open up, you'll be able, as we finish the book of Daniel, to open up and show them. And you'll be able to show them in the past how the Babylonian Empire ruled, only to be overthrown by the Medo-Persians, then by the Greeks, and finally the Romans, and how it was all predicted hundreds of years before it ever happened. Precisely. Prophecy has been confirmed in the past so that we can trust God when he says something that will happen in the future. Let me repeat that. Prophecy has been confirmed to us, some prophecy has been confirmed to us in the past so that we can trust God when he says something will happen in the future. It builds our faith. Peter calls it in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'll quote from the old King James because I like the phrase. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. The word of prophecy is sure. That's why the book of Daniel is so comforting to the Christian because it has a confirming part to our faith. It warms our emotions and reminds us of the presence of God and it settles our minds. Even as we were praying for such things tonight, 
our study in the Bible, it ministers to us and builds our faith, strengthens our mind, and calms our emotions. So much has already been worked out that you can't deny it unless a person simply dismisses it all together at their own risk. As we saw last time, there's the critics go after Daniel, the book of Daniel. I was reading recently in Wikipedia, uh, just looking at what they had to say about Daniel, you know, the most reliable source of information on the internet is Wikipedia. Don't trust it. Anybody can edit it, including you. And so I'm looking at it as it goes to the book of Daniel. I should have printed it out. But it says straight up, Daniel is a work of fiction. Wikipedia said it. What are you looking at me for? Wikipedia said Daniel's a work of fiction. Really? When I go to www.jesuschrist, he said Daniel's true. There is, I don't, know what's, I don't know what that website is. I hope it's not a bad one. We'll edit it out. Somebody bought it and made it bad. But Jesus, he, he not only claimed, but personally believed that Daniel existed, that he wrote the book, and that he was a prophet. The book of Daniel is encouraging because it's filled with prophetic insight. Now, in a general sense, prophecy is very important to the believer. It's a vital piece of understanding the word and understanding the times in which we live. Sometimes, as a church family, we may be, we may be accused falsely that we're obsessed with prophecy. But when you look at the Bible, one quarter of the Bible is prophecy. And one-fifth of the Bible, or one-fifth of the scriptures, was predictive when it was written. It's not really possible to have a full understanding of the Bible or the heart of God without a firm grasp on prophecy. Now, let me give you a fancy word so you understand when you hear the word what it means. You and I, we need to have a firm grasp on eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. And eschatology is built upon, ology, eschat speaks of the end, and ology is the study of. Eschatology speaks to us of the study of the end times. And without under, the only way we can understand the end times, because they haven't happened yet, is by understanding prophecy. Because God has given us clear understanding of many of the aspects of what's still to come. It's not possible to really understand the heart of God without getting a firm grasp of the study of the end times, of prophecy, of eschatology. And the neglect of the study of eschatology and prophecy has produced all sorts of problems within the church and outside of the church. Many cults and aberrant teachings have gone off the deep end with prophecy and many have followed them wholeheartedly. They've got the weirdest, goofiest things that... Uh, kindergartner can take the baby Bible that I give them at the baby dedication and refute it. But for some reason, people follow them. They listen to them. They go, oh, I've never heard that before. I think I'll... But a simple grasp of the scriptures would show you that that person is a false teacher. They are not speaking the truth. And I believe the reason why so many people get caught up on... Because prophecy is interesting. Prophecy is, it, it, it's like, yeah, I want to know. Who doesn't want to know the future? Yeah, I want to know. What does God have to say? And, and it gets your attention. It gets a person's attention. That's why when they come knocking at the door, they'll put a little flyer about the end times. And, and they'll begin to share with you what they believe their weird teachings are that have no basis in the scriptures. 
They have no basis. When you allow a cultist at your door to talk to you and you're ill-equipped, you will be easily confused because they've trained, they're trained to confuse you. But not only that, they're confused themselves. I don't say that as a, as a criticism, it's just a fact. They don't have a real relationship with God and so they're trafficking in unknown truths which really are not truths at all. They've taken the scripture. If you, if you have a cultist at your door and you just flip your Bible around and you make them stay in one place, they will not do that. Because that one place, just one among thousands, that one place will undo their whole system of false teaching and they refuse to do that. They refuse to stay in one place with you. They refuse to let the text say what it says. And when many of the hooks that they use is the end times. You've got one cult that says there's no hell. Well, who would not be attracted uh, to, a gr- to a place where there's no hell to, to really avoid? You've got one group that says the future is going to give you multiple wives and multiple kids and you're going to run your own planet. Wow. One group says that they follow Mother Earth or Mother God or like bizarro world. It's not in the Bible. But why is it so attractive? Well, because churches don't teach prophecy. And you know by now, I am fully committed the rest of my life to teach the Bible, the whole Bible, verse by verse, to give to you all of it to the best of my ability. I'm not interested in keeping everybody excited about, well, we'll do this little series and that little series, and I'm not interested as much as some might be interested in that. I'm not. I want you to know the whole Bible. I want you to understand. I want you to learn how, and with me you're going to have to, how to endure sound doctrine. Because not all of it's so exciting. There will be times when you come into a gathering like this and you will leave unhappy. And you go, wait a minute, I've been taught my whole life the church is supposed to make me happy. Not if you're in sin. Why would you leave here all happy when you are rank rebellious sin? Well, Ed, then I won't be happy and I'll be mad at you. Fine. But your problem's not with me. I'm the wrong object of your anger. You should be angry at the devil. You should be angry at the work that he's done taking this world system, tempting you, and your flesh just biting on the hook. It's not God's will for you to destroy your life. And if I don't tell you, You need somebody that will. So you find another church that will teach you the Bible, verse by verse. I'm not personally offended if you're upset with me. It's okay. I'm not purposely wanting you to be offended at me. I want you to be offended at the cross of Jesus Christ. I want the cross to bring you to a place whether you're either under the shadow of the cross and you're safe in Christ or the cross stands as a great conviction of sin that you're not in relationship with him. Jesus died for a reason. He died to forgive you of your sins and to bring you into relationship with him. He died so that you might have his heart revealed to you. He died so that when you come into relationship with him, you'll actually learn things in your life that you didn't even know were in your life. One of the most prominent men in the Bible that was used in ways that probably all of us combined will not be used. His name is Paul. He had a dramatic conversion experience and, and he 
grew up so rapidly in his relationship with Jesus Christ. But in one time when he's writing down, God wanted us to know, so he wrote it down and inspired it. He says, I didn't even know I was covetous until I read it in the Bible. Imagine a guy that was so smart in the Bible. He spent all the years up to his born-again conversion studying the scriptures inside and out, knowing the depth of meaning. And I mean, that's all he did. And then he was born again, and he found out what covetous meant? I'm sure that was offensive to him because he had learned how to measure his life in ways that made him look good before God. There's a word for that. It's called self-righteousness. And so much of the church's strength is sapped by self-righteousness. So many of those posts that I mentioned earlier are posted because of self-righteousness. Not God-righteousness, but self-righteousness where we really value our opinions over the love of God. We really value the way we think and the way that we put things together over the way that God thinks. And in many cases, I've, I've certainly, again, I don't speak to you, I speak with you because I've been guilty of this myself, where I, I value my ability to communicate what I believe the heart of God is over and above just simply expressing the heart of God and living out his love. You see, a lot of people are getting ripped off today because they're not being taught the Bible. They're not being taught verse by verse truly what the Bible has to say. And there's a lot of various reasons, but sickness in the house always is the responsibility of the leader. It's always placed upon the leadership. You have your own responsibility before God and you're going to answer for your life. You're going to answer for your Devo life. You're going to answer for your prayer life. You're going to answer for your witnessing life. You're going to answer for your life before God. And so you have a responsibility and so do I. And I'm going to answer for the greater responsibility. You know, nobody in there, no, nobody really thinking it through should ever become a teacher in God's church. Because the Bible says you're going to receive the stricter judgment. We can barely receive the judgment that we already received, but a stricter judgment. Why? Because now you're responsible for other people's lives. Dad, mom, husband, wife, babysitter, pizza maker, student, teacher. You rethink of all the realm that God has you in society. You're responsible for the people in your life. Stricter judgment. If you're going to study the scriptures and teach the word, you're going to spend a lot of time talking about prophecy. There's no way around it. It's the only holy book that exists that dares to deal in the area of prophecy. No other religious writings dare jump into the arena with startling clarity and pinpoint accuracy. Do you know the very first message that Jesus Christ ever taught in his human ministry was prophetic? Remember, he comes into the synagogue, the scroll's handed to him, he reads it, puts it down, and what does he say? Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He gets the privilege of telling everybody, prophecy is fulfilled. I am standing here as fulfilled prophecy, Jesus tells them. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. To me, prophecy is exciting. Predicting and telling us things that before they come to pass. 
The key prediction to hang on to today is that Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment, at any time. It really, we believe and hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to affect what we do. It's going to affect our thinking. Prophecy affects our lives powerfully. And you see and you may notice a greater emphasis or a greater interest in prophecy. And some people ask, why? Well, I see that there's like an increased urgency the closer the return of the Lord comes. Even just two or three or four generations ago, prophecy was not a popular subject. But notice, you're in Daniel. We haven't read anything in chapter 1. So go to chapter 12. And let me show you something at the end of why I believe there's a greater interest in prophecy. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Notice what Daniel is told and why there seems to be an interest in prophecy in these latter days. Or why the interest in prophecy shows that we're in the latter days. He says in verse 4, chapter 12. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So Daniel's told in the last days that there's going to be explosion of knowledge. I have one word to describe that for you. Google. More information is available today than ever before, and it's exponentially growing because there's more devices to catch more information. <laughs> I was just reading. I didn't read with uh, great interest. I wasn't really spending a lot of time on it, but there was a headline that caught my eye. The Alexa device is eavesdropping on you. Really? Really, you have an always-on microphone in your house, and you're surprised. They need to write a news article that they are collecting everything you say in your house. But they described the article. I thought it was pretty interesting. The way that, they wrote, the, way that the person wrote the article is, this is the next step in the evolution of both more knowledge and less privacy. And that the mother load of information is the house. The greatest last bastion of privacy is our homes. And they're inventing these things that are always on. And it's, they say it's all the devices. Um, but Alexa, Steve's dropping on you and just wants you to know. Hey Alexa, what did I say yesterday? I don't know, I'm not listening to you. Then how'd you answer me? Of course you're, of course you're listening to me. Daniel's told in the last days there's an explosion of knowledge. Not just educationally, not just in technology, but prophetically. There'll be a greater understanding of prophecy. And if that, if you haven't noticed that in the last 10, 20 years, then you've missed a lot of reality. It's not just technology that's going on. Not just education, not just informationally, but prophetic. Daniel, you're not going to completely understand it, but the people in the last days, they're going to see it. You're writing it down and you're not sure. Same with John writing Revelation, all these visions and everything. You're not going to quite understand it. But in the last days, the people living in the last days, the closer you get to the return of the Lord, the more understanding of prophecy you will gain. And I think that's pretty excited. He says it's sealed to the end. That's why there's so much teaching and learning, I believe, in prophecy today. We're just living in the last days. Suddenly so, much, so many of these prophetic mysteries are making sense. The thought of a worldwide religious system. A worldwide religious system. 
or just a worldwide anything. 50 years ago, come on. You know, the United Nations started, but come on. How a small little country in the middle of nowhere can cause upheaval globally now. Come on. A, a, a religion that can rule the world? Come on. Or a worldwide economic system? No way. Never happen. Really? How about a worldwide government where power is centralized? It's amazing what's happening, what we know and what we don't know. Some of you are in businesses and some of you work for our own government that you know things that you feel like jumping up right now and screaming to the top of your, uh, of your mind, but you are unable to share with us because you have signed a confidentiality agreement with Uncle Sam and he follows you everywhere. But you know things that we don't know. <laughs> One more thing before we leave. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. If you're looking for a key verse to hang on to, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. It's the key verse of the whole book. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The coming kingdom of God under the rule of his son, Jesus Christ, is certain and sure to come. And we find to, that Daniel brings together the times of the Gentiles and also the time of the end for the nation of Israel in the great tribulation period. For the times of the Gentiles, you can compare Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, with Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And for the time of the end for the nation of Israel, you can compare chapter 8, verse 17 of Daniel with chapter 11, verse 35. And the coming crisis brings up the millennial kingdom and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And so our study in the future will be one of prophecy and purity. Daniel, a young man that refuses to compromise under some of the most severe pressure that a man or a woman can ever endure. And how did he do it? Let me give you three words that we'll look at in future studies. How was Daniel able to refuse to compromise under some of the most intense pressure that a person would ever, <clears throat> would ever endure. Number one, I think it was his purpose. Notice chapter one, verse eight. In chapter one, verse eight, it says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He had a purpose. <clears throat> he was one who purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. You know, what I believe God's teaching us here is that oftentimes when you purpose in your heart, we don't see it right away. And you may not even experience it until it's tested. Daniel was tested on the purposing in his heart. And I would imagine that some of you listening today have never purposed in your heart not to defile yourself with this world. And God's reminding you today and calling you to a purpose. A lot of times... We're, you know, we're asking people or we're asking, what's my purpose in life? We pay thousands of dollars to a seminar and they tell you, this is your purpose in life. Let me tell you your purpose in life. I'll tell you right. You want to know what your purpose in life is? I'll tell you right now. Your purpose is not to defile yourself with this world. Let's start there. 
Purpose yourself to obey God and follow him. Secondly, how did Daniel avoid compromise? I believe it was his prayer life. We can't underestimate the power of prayer. Jot it down in chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel, if anything, was a man of prayer. He knew how to pray, and he prayed often. And it wasn't just events of prayer. It was the the commitment to prayer. Prayer was like breathing to him. Prayer was a natural response of staying in relationship with God. And he was able to avoid compromise because he was in union with God. Anytime we're in prayer, we are not compromising. Anytime we're in prayer. So you got this big temptation, just start praying. And then the moment that you're praying, the temptation wears down. Thirdly, I believe that another P word that Daniel avoided compromise was his life of preparation. And we're not told exactly how it all went down. Other than he had a purpose in prayer life. But he was ready, in season and out of season, to be used by God any way, anywhere, and on any assignment. As we focus on those three areas in our own personal lives, great changes take place. We become different people. And we pray that God would make us the men and women who purpose and pray and are always ready to be used. And so read ahead as you read ahead in chapter 1, as you get this book into each, as we get into it each week. And, and I'd encourage you, read a different version. If you have a Bible app on your phone, read the New Living Translation. I'll be using it a lot. And maybe you've read Daniel in uh, one version, New King James or King James or whatever you use, ESV. But read it in a different version and let God speak to you a different way. And we'll look at the original language, we'll look at the words, but I'm going to be leaning on the New Living much more in this study for a fresh approach and just something to jog our minds and, and stir up in us a desire to, hey, Lord, I don't know where we are in your soon return. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be next week, I don't know. But I don't want to get lazy as I wait. I want to do business until you come. I want my life to make eternal difference. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman of purity. I want to be a man or a woman that trusts your prophetic word. And I trust your word. I want to be that man that says, your word has given me comfort. Before I was afflicted, I strayed from your word. But now through affliction, I cling to your word. It's all that I have. Some of the simple things in life that really encourage you. You know, I was going through my Twitter feed today and reading some of the little blurbs on Twitter and there was a brother there who's connected with a friend of mine, pastor guy, and he just had on his, on his description, uh, I'm a man that stands on the promises of God's word. And it just so ministered to me. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? What gives you stability, church? What helps you in turbulent times? What gives you strength when you're weak? And what gives you direction when you're lost and wandering? What gives you hope when situations seem hopeless? It's just, man, I stand on the word of God. It's the firm promises of God. It's not my understanding of God. It's not my interpretation of the scriptures. It's not my Bible teaching. It's not what I heard on the, uh, some pastors say. My stability, the, my, my life is built on the rock. And I stand on the promises of God. So, read ahead. 
enjoy it. It's going to be good as we get through and eventually study some of the verses in Daniel chapter 1. So Father, uh, we appreciate uh, the, the, the introductory uh, encouragement that you give us as we anticipate what you want to accomplish through this Bible study. And we want to be men of purity. We want to be women of, impure, of, of purity. We want to be men and women, uh, young and old, standing on the promises of God, standing firm on the word of God. We don't want to use cliche Christianese. We want to live it out. I like what my brother Dominic taught once here. He said, uh, we want to earn the question why in our lives. Love that. We want to learn, earn in someone's life the question why. What makes you so different? Why would you show up to the hospital? Why would you be at the school? Why? And then we might deliver the goods, Lord, and share with those that are there your great love for us, but more importantly, your great love for them. So pour out your spirit on your church tonight. Let our numbers increase men and women that live for eternity. Let heaven fill our minds as we seek to honor you. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life. You never asked God to forgive you of your sins. You go, Ed, what do you mean sins? Well, every bad thing you've ever done in life has been a sin against God. You may not have used that word, but God uses that word. You don't have to be afraid of it. Every bad thing you've ever done in your life, imagine that. And you say, well, pastor, why don't you name a few and I'll see if I'm a sinner. Well, just that question tells me already you recognize you're not a perfect person. Just in that question. You don't need me to give you a list. What God has brought you to is a place of surrender where you know that you know that your life has not been honoring God. Now, you may not know the Bible, and you may not even know what honors God, but you've spent this part of your life learning what doesn't honor God, what has hurt someone, what has... And you can explain it away, but you still live with the consequences. You still live with the guilt. You still live with the shame. You still live a life that beats yourself up because you've got that sense that life could be better. And you know, the Bible says God put that in you. That sense that life could be better, the Bible says that God has put eternity in your heart. He's given you a taste of what could be glorious in your life. He's put you in a church family where, yeah, we've all had bad days and we've had bad weeks. Some of us had bad years. And yet we gather together and sing like nothing's ever happened. How is that possible? It's the love of God. Yeah, and we listen to a Bible study and we're, we're engaged and we're receiving, some even jotting notes, flipping the pages. What is up with that? Why would you do that? Because the people here love God. And it's a relational building exercise to seek God and be a refuge for a few moments so that we can make a difference when we leave. So if you're here today and you've never confessed Jesus Christ with your mouth, never expressed a belief in your heart that not only did Jesus live, but God raised him from the dead. I'm gonna invite you today, if that's you, you'd say, Ed, I need to get my life right with God. Would you just stand up? I wanna pray with you that today would be the day. 
You know, it was on a Wednesday night like this that I got saved and that I responded to an invitation similar to this where I wanted my sins forgiven. And I knew life was di- there was a different life available to me. I just didn't know what it was. And I've saw- now learned that it was what was lacking in my life was God at the center and my surrendered obedience to him. And so is there anyone here that say, Ed, that's me? We don't want to leave without the opportunity for you to make the most important decision in your life. And for the sake of people on the radio right now, God hears you. You could be sitting in the parking lot right now. You don't even want to come in the building. But you know, God doesn't judge you for that. He hears your heart cries. And he receives every repentant sinner. And so you can, you can express that. Maybe you're downstairs in watching on one of the TVs or in these rooms over here. We don't see you. It's, it's an opportunity for you to exact, do exactly what the Bible says. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So you can talk to God and say something like this. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sinful life. And I desire, I want to confess with my mouth today, you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. And I believe that, Jesus, you live for me, you died for me, and I believe you rose again to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. Forgive me, God, of my sins, and help me to live a life that honors you. And I pray, God, for anyone anywhere, from Florida to California, to Uganda, to Thailand, to Aurora, Colorado. May you honor the prayers and the requests of those that would turn to you today. And would you save their souls, not based on their good works or good deeds, not even based on their standing or saying a prayer. That's not how people are saved. But you sovereignly save people according to your foreknowledge and it's a cool thing we don't even understand it all God but it's so cool that you save souls and you save sinners of whom I am chief and I'm grateful for not only you saving me then but your powerful saving grace every day of my life may you pour out your spirit on us as a church that we might enter into our community as lights in a very dark place in Jesus name Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.